you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs, and today's passage is in uh, those Bibles on page uh, 998, I think. If not, that will get you close, I think. Again, that's Titus chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses, uh, verse 15 of chapter 2 all the way through verse 15 of chapter 3. Okay, Paul says, Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to send to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. That you saw fit to inspire Paul by your Holy Spirit to write uh, three letters to two young men who were learning how to carry on the ministry that you had entrusted them with. And because of that, we too get to learn from you this morning. We get to hear again uh, the gospel that you entrusted Paul with, that Paul entrusted to Titus, and that you have now entrusted to us. Yeah, we pray that we would see the good news in your word this morning. And that by your spirit, we would be compelled to share that good news with others as a result of being reminded of it again today. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. That it's because of your sacrifice that we're gathered here. That we can read and understand and apply your word. and That we can share the good news of who you are and what you've done with others. We pray now that you would continue 
to pour out your grace on us as we seek to learn together from your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today marks the end of this uh, journey we've been on through Paul's pastoral letters. We've looked at First and Second Timothy, and we've looked at the book of Titus. Um, and as I prayed, these are letters that Paul wrote to two guys to pass on uh, his gospel ministry to them because he knew that his time was up, that his life was coming to an end, that his ministry was coming to an end, and he wanted to ensure that the gospel kept going forth after he died. And so that's why he writes these letters to these two guys because they're entrusted with a ministry and he wants to make sure that they know the gospel and then because they know the gospel that they will then know how to do that ministry. And so Really, what we've seen week after week after week after week is Paul just reminding them again and again and again about the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Last week, we looked at Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14, which is a concise uh, and comprehensive expression of the past, present, and future effects of the gospel. So Paul has just laid out what Jesus has done for Titus, what he's done for his church. He talks about the grace of God in these, these four verses we looked at last week. And then the crazy thing is he's going to do it again today. He's going to tell Titus to do some stuff. He's going to tell him some things that his people shouldn't do. And then he's going to remind him again of the gospel. And so uh, the main point for us today is that we should insist on behavior for ourselves Right here, he's telling Titus to do this because he's an authority over other people. But for most of us, uh, we need to be more concerned about our own behavior than other people's behavior. So we need to insist on behavior for ourselves that lines up with our belief in the gospel. That's what we're going to see as we move through this passage. He starts it all off in verse 15 of chapter 2. And it might seem weird to begin a sermon on the last verse of a chapter, but this verse really kind of goes with chapter 3, not with chapter 2. Uh, so that's what we're doing. It's kind of a hinge between the chapters. He says, declare these things. The these things here means the stuff that we talked about last week in verses 11 through 14, which is that the grace of God has appeared. It's brought salvation. It trains us to say no to sin and yes to godliness, and it empowers us to wait uh, with hope for Jesus to be revealed, who will then fulfill all the promises of God for us and make all things new. And that's what grace does. That's what Christ has done when he came and he died on the cross for us. And so Paul reminds Titus of those things. And then this week he commands him to declare them, to say them again and again and again and again. And that's important for us to get because it's not enough for us to believe the gospel. It's not enough just to say, I believe it, and then we're done. The word gospel, it means good news. And news isn't something that you keep to yourself. Right? The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. That means that we hear that news, we believe that news, and then we speak that news to other people. The gospel is a message that we cannot keep to ourselves. So... If you believe something that you are perfectly content keeping to yourself, what you believe is not the gospel. It might be a good story. It might be a nice sentiment. It might be truth. But it's not news. It's news when we share it, when we speak that message to other people. 
The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And because it is that news, because of who he is, because of what he's done, we should feel compelled as a people to share it with other people. And if we're not doing that, that means that there's something deficient in our belief. Or it's misplaced and it's not in the gospel. Because the gospel is perfectly sufficient in and of itself to produce us being compelled to share it. So, Paul reminds Titus of the gospel and then he says, declare it. And, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Exhort means to encourage. Not by giving people like a cat poster or a pillow that has something cross-stitched on it. Not that kind of encouragement. Exhort means to encourage people with what they need to hear, not with what they want to hear. It means to to move them out of their funk and complacency so that they do the good works that we're called to do in Christ. That's what exhortation is. It is firm encouragement. Rebuke is correction. So one side we're saying, do these good things. And on the other side we're saying, don't do these bad things. And we're supposed to do that with all authority. Titus is supposed to do that with the authority he has as a pastor of this church. Uh, We as Christians are to do that with the authority we have as followers of Christ, as disciples. Because we're disciples, we're commanded to admonish one another, exhort one another, rebuke one another. We're called to do that for each other. We have the authority to do that. So you don't ever need to think, do I have the relationship with this person or the authority to say this to this person? If they're a believer, you can tell them. You can exhort them. You can rebuke them. It might be uncomfortable for both of you. But we can still do that for one another because our behavior matters because the gospel matters. Titus declares the gospel. He exhorts and rebukes in light of the gospel. And he's told to let no one disregard him. Because we're entrusted with the gospel, that's the only authority we need. And if people disregard us, We can't do anything to control that. When Jesus sends out the disciples in the Gospels, he uh, encourages them to go into a home and pronounce a message of peace, really the message of peace, to preach the Gospel. And then he says, if they respond poorly, you move on to the next house. And I think that if we are called to exhort and rebuke one another and those conversations don't go well, if we exhort someone and they refuse it, then we should rebuke them. And if they refuse that, then uh, we should be friends with other people. Uh, or pray for them, and then do it again. Bring more people with you. Do it again. And then if, if that doesn't work, bring it to the church. That's what Matthew 18 says. So Paul tells Titus to preach the gospel, to exhort, to encourage, uh, to rebuke. And then he's going to give him some specific examples of ways he can do this in the church. That's kind of what the beginning of chapter 3 is. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is what he's to remind them to do. So this is what he's exhorting them to do and, and correcting them about. So we're to be reminded to do all of these things. And if we're in a position of authority, we're to remind others to do these things. And who does this remind you of? When you think about this list, it's probably not an exhaustive list, right? Paul doesn't mean that this is the only thing that we have to do or the only thing that Titus has to tell his church to do is if his church is doing all of these things, they'll be perfectly fine and and good. But when he says, 
You know, who's, who's someone that's submissive to rulers and authorities? Who's someone that's always obedient? Who's someone that's always ready for good work? Who's someone that never speaks evil of other people? Who's something that, someone that avoids quarreling? Who's someone that's gentle? Who's someone that shows perfect courtesy towards all people? Maybe even Samaritans and Canaanite women. Jesus, right? This is one time where the Sunday school answer is the right answer. And it shouldn't surprise us, right? Whenever we see any kind of list of virtues or commands in Scripture, the one who does all of those things is always Jesus. Because he's the only one who's ever perfectly obeyed his Father. He's the only one who's ever perfectly done the will of God. But it shouldn't surprise us when we see a list here where Paul is telling someone to remind specific people to live in such a way that is in line with the gospel that those actions are like Christ because they're in line with the good news of who he is and what he's done. So he's telling them to do all these things. And, you know, I think we could get caught up in all of these individual items and whether we're doing them or not doing them, but I don't think that's the point. We should read through these things. We should pray through them. We should ask, you know, how well am I doing at submitting to rulers and authorities? Am I a quarrelsome person? Uh, Am I ready to do good work all the time? We should ask ourselves those questions. But I don't want us to get so focused on those this morning. Instead, I I want us to ask the question together, why does it matter? Why does it matter if we do these things? Why does it matter whether or not you and I submit to the government? Or our bosses? Why does it matter whether we're quarrelsome people? He gives us the answer. It's in verse 3. For. That means this is the reason why. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The reason why he's telling Titus to remind people to do these things, the reason why we should do these things, the reason why our behavior matters is because we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were once just like them. And so parents, when you're having a hard time dealing with your kids when they're throwing fits, remember, you used to be a kid. You used to throw fits. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, think about that time that you cut someone else off. When you're being lazy at work, or not when you're being lazy, when someone else is being lazy at work and it bothers you, remember that you're lazy at work too sometimes. The reason why our behavior matters is because we should be reminded of the gospel and live in light of it. We should remember that we too were once just like them. 
And so we should be willing to submit to rulers and authority. We should be obedient. We should be ready to do good work. We should avoid quarreling because what's the point of quarreling if we understand that the only reason that person is irritating us is because they are doing the same thing that we do to other people sometimes. We were once just like them. But if we're honest, we still are. We still are foolish. We still are led astray. We still are disobedient. But the reality is we're worse than them because of what comes next. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. But are we still? No. Right? If we are in Christ, we are no longer slaves to various passions and pleasures. And because of that, we don't have any excuse. And so we should be even more willing to set aside things as we interact with other people because we understand it's not that we were once just like them. It's not just that we're still kind of like them. It's that we are worse than them because we have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. We have been redeemed. We have been set free. And yet we still choose to act like them sometimes. Even though we don't have to. That's their only option. And because we realize that, because we know that, we should be able and willing and even eager to extend grace toward other people all the time. No matter what they do to us. Because the reality is, whenever we do any of these things, we do them when we think of ourselves more highly than we should. We do it when we think that we're entitled to disobey. Or it's okay for us to quarrel because we're right. Or it's okay for us to reject some authority because, you know, we're better than they are. Who are they to have authority over us? I mean, really. But Paul answers those objections that we might raise with the gospel. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He did the work, not us. We don't have anything to be entitled to. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So right there, we have no reason whatsoever to boast in the fact that we were once like that, but we're not anymore. The only reason why we're not like that anymore is because he saved us, not because of us, but according to his own mercy. And he did it. He saved us, not by our faith, not by something that we conjured up in ourselves, but by washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He transformed us. He empowered us. He made us new so that we could express faith and believe the gospel. And he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, again, he reminds us, just in case we've missed it the first 15 times he said it, we're justified by his grace, which is unmerited favor, things that we cannot earn or deserve. It's just given to us, so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's why our behavior matters. 
Because we're called to live in such a way that demonstrates everything Paul has just unpacked. We're called to live in such a way that shows people that we know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that we can't claim any of that. It's all been done for us. And so we should be the most gracious people on the planet. We should be the most humble people on the planet. When people do things to us that irritate us, we should be willing to forgive them because we understand how much we've been forgiven. We should be willing to love other people because we understand how much we've been loved. Our actions should demonstrate the belief that we have in the gospel. And when they don't, we should declare these things to one another and exhort one another and rebuke one another and say plainly and clearly that, hey, you're not living like what you believe. Verse 8, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. He doesn't mean that everything you set up to this point is not trustworthy. He's saying, pay attention, hear this, this really matters. The saying is trustworthy. And the saying he's talking about is what he's just said, the gospel. It, it's trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. He wants Titus, he wants us to be insistent about the gospel because so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The gospel is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on it, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So the gospel, and we saw the same thing last week, is both the reason why we obey. Right? We live in such a way so that it demonstrates what we believe. But it's also the motivation for us to live in a specific way. Right? Insist on these things, remind each other about the gospel, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We devote ourselves to good works because we're reminded again and again and again of the gospel. It's why we do it, both the reason and the motivation to walk in obedience. And so if you know someone who's struggling to obey, which is every single person in this room, you already know what they need. You know what they need to hear. You know what they need you to say to them. They need you to insist on these things. They need you to declare these things to them again and again and again. To apply the gospel to their situation. To help them think through and talk through how what they're doing or what they're saying or what they're believing doesn't really line up with what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what we need. We don't need some laundry list of things to do and not do. We need to understand how that list, which does matter, it matters because it demonstrates what we believe, but how we do those things because of what he's done. That's what motivates us to walk in obedience. These things are excellent and profitable. Those are the things that are going to matter, that are going to give us worth and joy in this life. 
He reminds us in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul here is speaking specifically, it seems, about these false teachers that would come into the church that Titus was leading. Uh, it's really similar to what he was telling Timothy about in First and Second Timothy, that there were these people that had come in and they'd stirred up some division in the church about what to do with, with the Old Testament law. And so here he's telling Titus specifically about this situation, avoid it. Avoid these petty disagreements, these controversies, these quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. And so for us, this probably doesn't directly apply. right? I didn't get involved in a whole lot of foolish controversies this week about the Jewish law. There are weeks where that does happen, but not this week, you know. Uh, it's other stuff, right? And, and, and we all get sucked into these kinds of things, right? Debates in the news, uh, debates and conversations with people, political views, you know, whether or not you should homeschool your kids or vaccinate your kids, whether or not you should, uh, you know, be a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Green Party or Independent. I'm, I'm out of political parties. A Tory or a Whig, if you're British. You know, we don't wade into these things, but we very quickly will share our opinions on a whole lot of things that just do not matter. They're important. I'm not saying they're not important. But the difference between what Paul's talking about in verse 9 and what Paul's talking about in verse 8 is, is very clear. He makes a stark contrast. These things, meaning the gospel, is excellent and profitable. That's what it produces in us. It produces excellence and it's of profit. But other things of lesser importance are unprofitable and worthless. And because of that, it's just a waste of our time and energy and emotion to get sucked into it. And it's so easy, though, for us. Because we want to be right, and we want other people to know that we're right. And if they don't understand that we're right, we at least want them to feel bad about not understanding that we're right or just simply being wrong, and that's enough. And even if that can't work, we want everyone else in the conversation to know just how right and smart that we are so they can see the big difference between us and those other people that may have commented on that Facebook post or news story or whatever. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've got some free time this week, go to Fox News and click on any article and read the comments. There are crazy people in this world. And sometimes I'm one of them. And I wade into foolish, worthless controversies that don't matter. And when we need to know that answer of, is this worth my time? Is this not worth my time? The question that we need to ask is, what is it, what is it producing? What's it producing in me? Is it, is it fostering love and appreciation for Jesus and what he's done for me? Or is it fostering appreciation and love for myself 
and how wonderful I am and how right I am for this thing that I'm discussing, whatever it is? What's it producing in other people? As we comment or getting these disagreements and arguments, are our contributions to these quarrels producing love for Jesus in other people? Or are we encouraging them to love us or love themselves or love something else more? And obviously, I'm not saying that we can't ever disagree about other stuff. I'm not saying that we can't ever talk about anything other than the gospel. But what I am saying is that we should talk about all of those other things in light of the gospel and in a way that shows other people that we actually believe it. People should leave disagreements with us thinking, I want to disagree with that person more because that was a pleasant experience. I was encouraged by that conversation even though we couldn't be further apart on this issue. Now, what comes next is a little surprising to me. As for a person who stirs up division, someone who does not avoid these things he's just talked about in verse 9, as for them, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is surprising to me because this is, this is three strikes, you're out. Compared to Peter, when he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brother? Like seven times? And Jesus says, no, like seven times seven or 70 times seven or a whole lot of times. But Paul says three, really twice, and then when he does it again, he's gone. So the question that I asked when I read this is, why, why does he take division and dissension so seriously? I even texted a friend this week and was like, hey, what do you think about this? We dialogued back and forth, and it really seems like, and I think this is what Paul says in verse 11 when he says, such a person is warped and sinfully self-condemned. What he's saying is that people who continually stir up division are just demonstrating for themselves and for other people that they don't really believe the gospel. So they should not be part of the church. And the reason why division is so bad and divisiveness is such a horrible thing in the church is because it's not what we're supposed to be about. We are supposed to be the people that are characterized by unity. Not just in this room, but in the whole church. That means, and this is hard, but that there should be unity true unity between us and every other church in Hannibal. And not just a, we don't say bad things about each other in public unity. Like a real, we like one another and want to spend time with one another. Our disagreements are cordial. And we really love each other and want to do ministry together and want to preach together the gospel that we say we believe together. It's because one of the primary aspects of the gospel is peace. I go home today and read 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about how the gospel is a message of reconciliation. 
not just between us and God, although like the peace established between us and the Father because of who Jesus is and what he's done is huge. But he also brought peace between each other so that no matter what the issue is, whether you know it's division between Jews and Gentiles or races in today's world or religions in today's world or different countries in today's world or different churches in the city of Hannibal, It's a message of reconciliation. It means we can all have peace, not just kind of superficial harmony, but peace with one another because of what he's done. We've talked about this before, but uh, Tim Keller, when he talks about the biblical concept of peace, he talks about a tapestry, you know, which is this fancy rug thing that hangs on a wall. And it's made by some artist weaving a bunch of different strands of fabric together to create a picture on this wall fabric thing. And what we have done to the world, humanity, is like walking up to that thing with like a crochet hook or, you know, screwdriver. If you're a man and you don't have crochet hooks. And just pulling threads out so it distorts the picture and makes it look horrible. That's what humanity's done to the world. And when Christ came into the world, he came into the world to bring reconciliation, to bring peace, to bring shalom. And it started weaving that tapestry back together so that it looks how it's supposed to look. So that everyone can look at it and say, that is beautiful. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we, as his people, 2 Corinthians 5, are uh, his ambassadors. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We bring that reconciling message to the world. And so the reason why division matters so much in the church is because we are supposed to be the primary people who are working to weave that fabric back together in the world. And when we don't, we're not living like we're supposed to. We're not doing the work he's entrusted to us. We're not preaching the gospel that he's entrusted with. We're just another broken place that doesn't yet have peace. And so, we're going to be a church that's going to practice what Paul talks about here. When people stir up division in the church, And I don't mean just disagreeing about stuff. We can disagree and get along about many, many things, and we do here at BC, and I'm so thankful for it. But if we had someone who was continually stirring up the kind of division that Paul's talking about in Titus, we absolutely would tell them not to come back. I know that that sounds harsh, and that sounds maybe like contrary to the gospel. But the reason why a church looking like a church matters is because we're called to represent the gospel to the world around us. And so if we have people who are members of BC who aren't doing that, they're not going to be members of BC for much longer. And that's what we're called to do. That's what Paul talks about here. He talks about it elsewhere. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 18. Um, there's a whole sermon on our website about Matthew 18 where we talk through a Q&A afterwards about all of these issues. So if you have questions about that, uh, I would encourage you to listen to that or you can talk to me or somebody else here and we can dialogue about that. 
But that's why it matters. Paul says that these people are warped and sinful. What he means is that they are not bearing the image of God as a redeemed person. They're not redeemed. And they condemn themselves by how they act. In verse 12, we get to the kind of end part of the letter. This is the P.S. He's telling him that he's sending some specific people to him um, because he's spending the winter at Nicopolis. He asked him to send some people to them, to him, Zenus and Apollos. And then again, in verse 14, even as he's closing out this letter, he reminds them again, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. I think this is important for us to see that Paul knows people in the church he's writing to. And I think it's easy for us to just kind of brush that aside and say, well, yeah, but the church was a whole lot smaller then. You know, there were like eight of them. Of course he knows people at the church in Crete and the church in Ephesus and the church in Rome. But what I think that demonstrates is that Paul has the kind of unity he's encouraging Titus to teach in his church. He knows what's going on in these churches that he's writing to. He knows people in them, and he greets them, and he cares about them, and he prays for them. And, I mean, if you ask me to name two guys at a church in Crete, or Quincy, or Troy, or Bowling Green, or uh, Palmyra, I'd be hard-pressed to do it if I don't have family members there, because that would be easy. And obviously, I don't think we're required to know people at every church in every city, you know, because that's impossible. But I do think that we should start to put practices into our life and into our church life at BC that are fostering unity with other people, other Christians around the world. I think we do that well with people like the Howards um, and the Phillips, and I think we're doing that better with Dinesh. We're starting to... um, but we should know what's going on in their churches, not just with them, but with people that they're ministering to so we can pray for them and have unity with these people all around the world so that if you or I wrote a letter to, you know, Jerry and Sarah or Brian and Cassie, we could say, you know, greet uh, this random person in your church. Like, greet Phil. Encourage him. Like, grace to Phil. I don't think either of them have a guy named Phil in their church, but... You get what I mean? Because that's the kind of unity we're called to have. Because we should care about the gospel going forth, uh, not just in Hannibal and not just in one another, but all around the world and in the people that are in those churches all around the world. And we should be actively doing something about that, not just you know, sending positive thoughts around the world. We should be pursuing it. Because that's what we see Paul doing. Again, this all matters. Not so that we can earn grace. Not so that we can earn his favor, but it's a demonstration of the fact that we understand that we have it. And at the same time, that should motivate us to do it. So as we move to take the Lord's Supper today. Sean's going to come and introduce it. Um, I would encourage you to be thinking about those things.